Well, if you're just joining us, whether it's online, one of our locations, or right here in Lufkin, we have started last week a series entitled The Shadow King. And this series is going to be a biopic where we drill real, real deep into the life and leadership, the uh, courage and controversy in this larger-than-life person on the stage of human history that actually lived. His name is David. All throughout history, we have Catherine the Great and Cyrus the Great and Alexander the Great. If there was someone deserving the name great, it most certainly would be King David of Israel. His, as I recap from last week, there are 182 times throughout the Old Testament that the name David is mentioned outside of the story of David, 59 times in the New Testament. So it's really hard to even grasp the full story of the Bible without this central character. And what I said last week is true, and I want to remind us, and I'm going to remind us consistently over the next several weeks that we deep dive into David, is this. Do not, do not put David in a suit and tie. Do not make David some middle-class American, okay? He is living in the edge of the Bronze Age in an agrarian society where the nation has no constitution. There is no really uh, formalized rule of law other than the Jewish law that they've been ignoring for generations. Uh, they are a ragamuffin group of, of tribes trying to eke out an existence in the middle of enemy territory. And David is the one, is not the first king, but he's the second king and he's going to bring all these nations together. Don't put him in a suit and tie. Don't put him in 2020 uh, because you're going to struggle with that. When Jesus says, love your enemies, that, that was after David. When, when Peter said, uh, do not repay evil for evil. After David, when Paul says, you know, you ought to have just one wife, monogamy's a good thing. <laughs> After David. But for every Goliath, there's going to be a Bathsheba, there's going to be a shadow. For every act of compassion, there's a slaughtering. For every spirit-led poem that this poet does through the book of Psalms, there is going to be a broken law of God. And, and yet... And yet, what we're going to see is God himself says, David is a man after my own heart. That's great news for you and me. The good news is we can learn from David and we can see from David, but this story really isn't about David. This story is, is way beyond just looking at his, flaw, his flaws. And I'm hoping that, that the goal of this would be that we would find the light by tolerating the shadows. And you know that that's what Jesus does in your life? He doesn't wait for you to get all, uh, all your ducks in a row. He tolerates the shadows of your life and he becomes the light. We, while you were still sinners, while I was still a sinner, he dies for us and he casts the light on that darkness. And so here's what we're going to do today. Uh, David's story is not in the Bible to point us towards David. David's story is in the Bible to point us toward Jesus. Everything leads us to Jesus, the shadow king. All of these stories from the Garden of Gethsemane, when they sin in the, or not Garden of Gethsemane, when they sin in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they wrap, they, they wrap themselves up in fig leaves. They try to cover themselves. It's not enough. So God takes an animal, kills the animal, and wraps them up in, in the skin of the animal. Something had to die to cover their sin. That's a story in the Garden of Eden, but that's a story of Jesus because God ultimately will wrap us 
in the, in, in, in the Savior's blood. We will be covered by grace by what Jesus does on the cross, no longer having to rely on some kind of sacrificial ritual. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Today, I want, I've entitled this message, Establishing Shot. The establishing shot. In cinematography, in making movies uh, or making a sitcom, there is what the uh, director will call an establishing shot. So when you see people sitting around a table inside a room, usually before you see them there, there's an outside shot of the hotel or an outside shot of the house or an outside shot of the Pentagon. If, if you're going into the boardroom and they're trying to figure out coronavirus, you're going to see the Pentagon and then you see the, the boardroom on the inside. If you've watched any kind of television or movies over the last few years, uh, you will see some establishing shots in some of the most popular uh, movies and sitcoms. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a few. Um, in order to understand what's going on, we see an outside establishing shot of a coffee shop. And when we go inside, this is the sitcom called Friends. I'll be there. Okay. Um, before, before things go crazy and they are forgotten, um, we see the outside shot of a beautiful home setting up the whole movie called Home Alone, right? And then the, very, the, the next one, when there's a restaurant scene, is like... Okay, yeah. So we've got Seinfeld there. Um, we have a story about a lovely lady was raising three girls of her own, all had hair of gold like their mother, the youngest one in curls. Yeah, the Brady Bunch. And then, of course, this one. How many know who, what this one? Yep. Thanksgiving at your in-laws. I know. I know. Yeah. No, this is psycho. This is psycho. And it's setting up the whole Bates Motel and everything that ensues after that. So how do we set up an establishing shot, kind of the geography or, or the outside looking into why we're going to be talking about the need for a king in the nation of Israel? In order to do that, our establishing shot comes from Judges. But Judges is not the actual, uh, we're not talking about this judge, you know, Judge Judy or Wapner, definitely Wapner. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Anyway, it sounded like a horse at the end. That wasn't, that was weird. <laughs> Not talking about Judge Judy, Shineland. I'm talking about the book of Judges. And the book of Judges uh, is all about the rise and fall, the rise and fall, the crazy cyclical wandering of a group of people that are hot with God and not with God, strong with God and give a cold shoulder to God. Choose to serve God and then also add other gods to their plate. And at start, we get into Judges, but let's even back up the establishing shot a few hundred years into the whole idea of Israel. Israel is basically 12 sons of a man named Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. So these 12 sons of Israel, Dan, Asher, Benjamin, Joseph, Nephtali, all these different Judah, they become the loose confederate tribes that will later join into one nation. Because their youngest son is, one of their youngest sons, second to the youngest, Joseph is sold into slavery and then grows from the slavery into Potiphar's house, into a prison, and finally into a palace and becomes the viceroy of Egypt and becomes the second strongest in the nation. 
Later on, through this incredible turn of events, Joseph invites all of his brothers and their families into Egypt to prosper in that land because Joseph was strong and mighty in that land, and they flourished. And they so flourished, they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And over the course of hundreds of years, the Pharaoh, the next Pharaoh, he didn't remember Joseph. And the next Pharaoh, he didn't remember Joseph. And eventually, all the Israelites that are living there in Egypt, they're becoming such a force that the Egyptians are intimidated. And so what they're going to do is actually enslave them and, and push them down. And in, in order to control them, they go, do a mass genocide of their infants. They kill the baby boys in the nation of Israel. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible time. But God raises up a deliverer named Moses who comes into that culture, understanding the culture, and he goes in and he is the leader that helps lead through the divine power of God, lead all those tribes of Israel, those tribes of Jacob, out of Egypt and towards the promised land. But in between the promised land and Egypt, there's this little place called the desert. And what should have taken, literally for geography's sake, should have taken them about eight weeks they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. Why? Because not 50 days into the process, not 50 days into the process, Moses says, y'all stay right here, stay right here. I'm going to go up the mountain, listen to God, and I'm going to come down, tell you what he said. All right, y'all? They said, okay. Well, as they're waiting, as they're waiting, they get tired, and like rednecks do when you get tired, you start doing stupid stuff. It's like... They start going, oh, how much you want to bet I can do that? Well, how much you want to bet I can do that? Hey, I got an idea. And what they come up with is, like famous last words of a redneck, watch this. What they say is, they, they, they do it this way. They say, hold my beer, someone yelled. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's the famous last words. We say, hold my duels, okay, in Timber Creek, all right? No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Anyway, so, so here's what happens. They say, we don't know if Moses is coming back. Let's just... Uh, why don't we form another God that we can worship? We're kind of twiddling our thumbs here. And so they collect gold. They burn it in the fire. They melt it down. They make it into the form of a calf. And they begin to do idol worship. Not 50 days from seeing the Red Sea opened. Not 50 days from seeing all of the mighty hand of God free them from the grip of Pharaoh. And they want to do things on their own. They have their own idea of how they get to the next spot. Moses certainly comes down and he's got the Ten Commandments with him and he sees what's happening. And, all, and they, they have not even waited on God and they want to do it their own way. And so Moses, basically what happens that day is they melt down the calf, they have to drink the gold, it's a terrible thing. And then the priests, they go through the camp crisscrossing and they kill 3,000 people. That's the judgment, that's the judgment in that moment. 3,000 people die that day on the delivering of the commandments of God. Whoa. Now, when I said every story points us towards Jesus, just know that there will come a time where that, is, that wrong is righted. When on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, after the disciples have now waited 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus... On the day of Pentecost, a Holy Spirit falls in the gathering place and they begin to speak the language of God and there's a mighty rushing wind and, and there, there's, there's these, these supernatural things that take place. And Peter speaks the new world, rule of God that you're not going to live by laws on stone, but actually the Spirit of God is going to live inside of you. And do you know what happened that day? 3,000 people didn't die. 3,000 people are added that day. When the church is birthed, what, is, what are we saying? 
What are, we, what are we pointing to? Every story points to Jesus. Every story that you can't live on just the law of God. You got to let the law of Jesus, the spirit of God, live inside of you. And that's what brings true life. Well, certainly through 40 years of wandering, they're ready to cross over into the promised land. And as they get into the promised land and they begin to carve out the nation, the book of Judges is all of that process of being in the promised land and trying to live for God, but falling short many times. And so the book of Judges would really, it's not about judges like the law and you're guilty or I'm sentencing you to this. The judge really in this context is basically a book of saviors. That's what, that's what Judges means, a book of saviors. They were deliverers like Moses who would bring the nation of Israel after they had hit their bottom, after they were, they were in the bottom of it. They got the cinder blocks on their feet, and they're at the bottom of the sea. He, he brings a deliverer to help them come back out. Now, here's the question, and here's the question I'm going to answer. Why did Israel need saving? Well, here's, here's why. Here's why Israel needed a judge to come and save them. Because every story leads to Jesus and ultimately there is no other name that's going to save you. I am so, I am, I'm just telling you, in this season of political uh, leveraging... There is no name on any ballot that is really going to save you like the name Jesus is going to save you. Republican, Democrat, Independent, whether you say Democrat or you say Rethug-looking, whatever. When we posture as though those things and those people are the answer to spiritual issues, we're going to get it wrong. Israel got it wrong. We get it wrong and Jesus has the answer to all that wrong activity. Why does Israel need saving? Why do you need saving? And why does America need saving? Why do we need this? Because we, 2,000 some years later, are still dealing with the same issues that Israel was dealing with. Israel, in that time, here's why they needed a savior to come, a judge to come in. And in the book of Judges, you will see 12 heroes, men and women... Men and women leaders that will rise to the occasion to help deliver and save Israel. Twelve judges, one on both sides of the six cycles of wandering, six cycles of ups and downs. And here are some of the reasons why they got to that place. Number one was the influence of an environment. So when the Israelites go across the Red Sea, they are in the wilderness for 40 years. Then when they get ready to go to the promised land, the land of Canaan, they cross the Jordan River. There's two bodies of water that God supernaturally opens for them to, to come across. And when they come across, they're not alone. And they're going to have to figure out how to operate with all this other influence in the environment. And God gives them strict commands. Drive everybody out. Don't let them be your neighbors. That doesn't, man, that's not very nice of God. He's setting up a nation. He's setting up a nation here. And, and, and God is God. He is not you. He is God. He can bring to life. He can bring to death. He chooses to show his story how he chooses to show his story. And so he says, I want everybody driven out so that the land can be set up. And so sure enough, in the very first chapter of Judges, we read, when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites. And if they follow, had they followed God completely, the scripture would end by saying they pressed the Canaanites out beyond the borders. But the scripture goes on to say, um, they never drove them out completely. 
And do you know that that's what happens to many people that bow a knee to Jesus? It is not about what you do. It's about who he is that saves you. When you bow a knee to Jesus, say, Jesus, be the center of my life, be the Lord of my life. You are saved not because of what you did. It's because of who you're choosing to follow and who you're asking to be your king. Everybody's searching for a king that will give them stability, prosperity, and happiness. And we say, Jesus, be my king. And it's what he has done on the cross that saves us. But do you know you can be saved and you can step across the rivers of your life and you can take new land. And if you're not careful, you can act just like, just like the Israelites where you start pushing things out of your life, but you don't drive them out completely. Habits that you learned from your parents and that's just the way your parents are, that's just the way you are. Things that were wounds that you're carrying today that wounded you back then that still affect the way you trust people, the way you talk, the way you don't talk, the way you shelter or the way you push forward. It's why we provide things like uh, the encounter experience on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. is to help people deal with, now that I'm saved, how do, how do I find everyday freedom? How do I find freedom from maybe stuff that's holding me back? Because I thought, I thought when I got saved, everything would like be like, like but it's not. It's like, dun, 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 dun. it's tough. And God has an identity for you. And sometimes we just, we like, we, you know how you have, you grew up with hand-me-downs from your, from your, your brother. Uh, uh, you know, I was the smallest. I was the oldest, but I was the smallest out of my brother and sister. And I had hand-me-downs. It was really awkward when I wore my sister's hand-me-downs. No, I'm kidding. That didn't happen. It was not that family. But, but like I had hand-me-downs. And some, some of you, you're wearing hand-me-downs of just what you've always thought church would be what you thought a relationship with Jesus was built on and 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 you don't have to live with that hand-me-down you you can take that off God has new clothes for you he has something tailored to fit you but Israelites they didn't press out completely and they began to take on the customs and the habits and the hang-ups and and they were surrounded and so when you think of Israel as a nation there in the promised land, they, they had all these other Canaanites, which Canaanites would be considered different tribes within the, the big arching name Canaanites. There were these different ites, okay? Uh, so like from the north, you had the termites. No, that's, that's the joke. That's not the joke. You had the Ammonites. From the north of Israel was the Ammonites. Now the word Ammonites, Ammon is a, is a name even in modern day Jordan. It is a neighboring country of Israel. And the capital city of Jordan is Ammon. And that is from uh, uh, ancestors from the Ammonites. Um, they were uh, enemies of Israel. They did not fight. They, they kind of lived at peace until there wasn't peace. Okay? They, they weren't buddies, but they, they respected each other's privacy, basically. But to the south were the Amalekites, and there was no respect. Amalekites were like bloodthirsty raiders. They were hell-bent on burning cities. Uh, they, would, they would go in, and they would take uh, hostage. They would rape the women and take them hostage. They would kill the infants. They would slaughter the men. It was terrible. They were, they were, when you heard Amalekite forces were coming, um, you, you ran for your life. On the east side of Israel were the Edomites. Now, the word Edom is actually, in the original language, it means red. Not like I read a story, but like the color red. Now, that's significant if you can understand when you begin to read through the Bible and you see kind of people and characters, there's this story about a man named Abraham, okay, 
who Jesus would come out of the line of Abraham, uh, Father Abraham, and he, you know what he did? He had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. <laughs> I'm one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left arm. Wasn't it crazy, Father Abraham, singing that in kids, in kids ministry? Like, we just, like, it, you know what? It was a trick of kids' church to tire our kids out so they could hear the lesson better. Because after 27 minutes of head up, head down, right arm, left arm, could you imagine being a guest walking in for the first time and all the kids are like, Father Abraham had many sons. Like, what kind of church have we come into? Anyway, well, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had two sons, twins, uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the oldest. Jacob was the, the second twin. Esau should have been the actual birthright, but Jacob kind of tricked Esau he was hungry one day, and he sold his birthright just for a pot of stew. I wonder how many people trade their marriages for a pot of stew. Trade their integrity for a few dollars on a, on a, on a tax break. For a pot of porridge, Esau trades his birthright. Now, Jacob, his name, when he came out, his mom named him. You know what named him? It was, it was two meanings. It was uh, uh, heel grabber. And liar. Isn't that a wonderful mommy? Isn't that a wonderful mommy? I met, I met a woman who's, who's uh, having their baby tomorrow, their third child. Don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet. And uh, one's rooting for a girl, one's rooting for a boy. We'll see what happens. Somebody will win. Mama, I hope it's you. I hope it's you, Mama. I hope you win. But, but, but sorry, Zane. But, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, could you imagine like, oh, what's the name? <laughs> liar. <laughs> like don't do that. Don't do that to your kid. That's like saying, oh, his name's, I don't know, Adolf. <laughs> like, don't do that, okay? Oh, his, he's so beautiful. What's his name? Judas. Okay, like, careful. So anyway, <laughs> careful. So, so you've got the heel grabber. Why is the heel grabber important? Because he, first of all, he was, he was, he was grabbing the heel, and, and later he's called liar. Do you ever, you ever heard of anybody say, you're pulling my leg? Well, that actually comes from the history of Jacob pulling the leg, being the heel grabber of Esau. Now Esau came out, and when he came out, you, you know, come on, come on now. Uh, we've had two babies. One came out beautiful and gorgeous. The other one, mm, not so much. I'm gonna be honest. Like I was like, who, whose baby is this? For real. Sage came out precious, beautiful, not even crying. <laughs> That's it. Graham came out like. <gasps> for like an hour straight. Well, Esau came out, and he was red, just like, like deep, deep red, deep, deep red. And, and uh, there was this, uh, so his name, Esau, meant red. Well, Edomites meant red. When Esau left because he didn't get the birthright, what happened was that that group of people under Esau became the Edomites, the, Red, the Redites, basically, okay? And then on the West, you'd have the most popular, the Philistines, the Philistines. Later in this story, we'll see David face to waist with a major Philistine, Goliath of Gath. The capital city of Philistia would be Gath. Now, Philistine today would be Palestine, Palestinians, Philistine, there's a connection. Do you know where that, all that intensity in the Middle East comes from? Let me tell you where it comes from. 
It comes from Abraham wanting to put the promise of God in his own hands and be the king instead of trusting God to be king. Instead of trusting God to bring stability, prosperity, and happiness. Abraham and Sarah get tired of waiting on the promise of God. And so he has sex with his maidservant Hagar and they have Ishmael. And to this day, the major tension in the Middle East comes from the line of Ishmael and the line of Isaac still at war with one another. It's still happening. And part of that is also because of they just, Israelites just did not want God to be their only king. The Philistines there. Now, the Philistines were the strongest military might. Do you know why? Not because they had giants, but because they had invented something. They had not, it wasn't x-ray vision. It, it wasn't, they had invented something. They were able to forge iron. And that made a huge difference in military because everybody else is living in the Bronze Age. And so when you have a bronze sword compared to an iron sword, the iron sword just would, would destroy. It would make it like peanut brittle, these bronze swords. And the Philistines had been able to, to kind of curate a craft to make sure that they, they held a, somewhat of a patent and made it secretive to where they could forge these weapons that were no match against all the other people. And so what we have here is we don't have Israel with like these borders. We have Israel, these ragamuffin tribes, out, these little villages that would be, one village would be right next to a Philistine outpost. And, and over here, down by the Amalekites, this little village would be hit all the time. I'll give you another little geography of the establishing shot. The city of Jerusalem doesn't exist yet. Now, it exists, but it's not called Jerusalem. In fact, the city is named Jebus right now. It is the Jebusites. And later when David becomes king, instead of David having his kingdom in his tribe of Judah, or Saul, when he was king, had his capital city in the Benjamite tribe in Gib Gibeah, they are going to carve out just like America did. Instead of putting the United States capital where it should have been, Texas, they put it, they, they, carved out, they carved out a little bit of this state and this state and this state, and they created the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., so that not any person could say, the state, the, the capital of America is in our state. No, it's a separate piece, and David would later change the name Jebus to Jerusalem. They would overtake that city. And in the shadows of Jebus, in this time, is a little city called Bethlehem, just a, a few stones throw away from the walls of that pagan city. There was the influence of an environment, and I wonder how many of our families are influenced by the environment today. I wonder how many things we're allowing kind of to, to, to rule and reign in our homes without, without borders, without margin. What are your kids watching on their smart tablets, everybody? It is your responsibility if you would lock the front door, you need to have a locking mechanism on one of the greatest dangers. And it's not from your front door, it's from the screens in their hands. That is good. That is good. That, 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 that'll preach, everybody. Okay, yeah. Moving on. Number two. Here's another issue Israel had that you and I have. The inadequate equipping of the next generation. The inadequate equipping of the next generation. As Moses prepares the people in the land 
in the, in the wilderness to take the promised land, he gathers them together for a family talk. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, here's, here's what he says. He gather up everybody. I'm going to give you the, the laws that God gave us. And here's what he says. These commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, you got to observe in the land that you're going to cross the Jordan to possess. You, these, this is like the deal. This is what you do. If you're going to do anything, do this. And here's why he says, so that, so that what? So that God won't be mad at you and strike you dead? No, no. So that you do what I say, bless God, so that you are just sad because you have to, so you don't go to hail, like we said, you know, we make hail like two words, hail in the south. No, so that follow his law so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. The life of the God follower is meant to be enjoyed. If you felt like I had to follow God, it was rules and religion and it wasn't fun, you've been following the wrong thing. There ought to be liberty and freedom and excitement, enthusiasm, joy in the Christ-following life. It doesn't need to be wrapped up in all legalism and this, do this, and don't do that. As a matter of fact, it's so that we would fear the Lord and trust Him. And listen, I know people get a wrong idea of what fear is. They get an inadequate understanding of what true fear is. Um, when, when we, when we are, some people think the fear of God is like, I better follow God because I'm afraid of what he might do. I'm afraid of what he might do to me if I disobey him. But really the healthy fear we're talking about is, is, is not this angry dictator waiting for you to mess up. It's more like you holding a, a, a valuable piece of China or, or you holding an infant child. And you know, like, like when, you, when, you, when you have your first baby, maybe not holding your, 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 your fourth baby, you get a little bit more. You know, when you have four, your fourth kid, like first kid, it's like they drop the pacifier, you burn it and you give them a whole new pacifier. Fourth kid, you're like, you know, plop, put it right back in there, right? First kid, oh, they got a cough. We better, we better keep them. Like, we better do the next kid. Mom, there's blood everywhere. Oh, clean it up. Like, it's crazy how, how we, we get used to parenting. But the fear of the Lord is like taking a child and, and not, the child should, like, like when you're walking and you walk down steps, you walk carefully. Why? Because you have a healthy fear, a fear of you wouldn't want to do anything to harm the child. You wouldn't want to harm the child. And there's a fear of the Lord that, like, I want a, such a close relationship that he's not the baby. If anything, I'm the child in his hands. But God wants us to have a healthy fear where we, we would want to walk in a way that we wouldn't want to do anything that would hurt his heart. That's, that's the healthy fear of a relationship with God. And he says, so that you can enjoy long life. So here's the rules he gives them. And it's not like, you ought better not laugh at anything. You ought, you ought better go to church every week. There's part of the law there. But here's where he starts at the most important place. First, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Ain't no other. Ain't no other. There's just one. You got to know this. When you go into this land and there's all kinds of other gods, there's only one. That's the number one. And here's on top of this. This one God, here's what you're to do. Love him. Love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He doesn't say, go do this and go do that and don't do that and never watch this and never make that. But the more I love him, 
the more from the inside out I want to follow him and, I'm, and I have a healthy fear of wanting to honor him. These commands that I give you, he says, are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. None of you that are worth your salt are, are going to say to your fourth grader, do you want to go to fifth grade? You know, or do you want to stay home and play Fortnite? I mean, you want to go to fifth grade or not? I'm going to leave it to you. Why in the world would you leave it to them? And don't leave it to the church to be the guide for your kids' spiritual maturity either. You got to take ownership of that. And if you don't know how, we're going to help you. We're going to help you, okay? Like, if you feel lost in this crazy sea of how do I teach my kids about Jesus when I really wasn't ever taught about Jesus, we're going to help you with that, okay? You got 98% with them. We got 2% with them. We want to help you. We're going to, we're going to do what we do on Sunday mornings. We're going to help equip the next generation. But you got to be responsible too. And you got to impress them the same way you would say, I know you don't want to brush your teeth, but get in the bathroom and brush your teeth. You smell like Lazarus. And he ain't been resurrected. And what we do is we press these things on our children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up all over the place. We have to make... God the priority, but, but what happens is after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, the Bible says they didn't do that. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I mean, can you imagine all of the mighty acts of judgment of crossing the Red Sea, crossing over the Jordan, providing bread in the wilderness out of the ground? And a whole generation grows up not hearing about it. Why? Because the parents and the grandparents didn't do their job. Let me tell you something. If you're frustrated with the spiritual climate of the next generation, some of that is on you. And, and, and a lot of it is on us as a body of Christ. For years, people have been, been asking for answers and the church has been stuttering we got to be clear with the answer of Jesus. Many times we tried to have the answer is religion. The answer is don't do this and do that. Instead, it's got to come back to this hard issue of loving Jesus first. It's got to come back to that. And this whole idea, listen to me, write it down. We are just one generation away from a culture that does not know the grace and goodness of Christ. That's why as a church, we unashamedly, we, we, uh, we unequivocally will reach out hard for the next generation. We want the next generation to come and own leadership and grow up and be the staff. And we want the next generation to be on here leading in worship. And sometimes we get so used to the way we think God that we put all of our value in the way we found God with those songs and that style of church and that style of preaching and that style of program and that style of dress and I'm going to tell you that same danger that Israelites realized that the next generation didn't even know God that will happen in churches across America if we overvalue styles and traditions and our preferences over the raising up of the the next generation of world changers, everybody. There's, we're not just taking care of your brats and kid works. We are raising up leaders that Jesus is the center of their life and that the word of God to them is precious 
And we want to help you too. It's why we try to provide that environment for kids and that environment for youth. And we don't just gather them all together and listen, you got your kiddos in here and they're in third grade. That's fine. You're the parent. You decide. But it is a lot more fun. It is a lot more engaging. And it makes a whole lot more sense them talking about Jesus over there than learning about the Edomites over here. Because we are one generation away of people saying, ah, that whole, that whole thing, isn't it just kind of about what your truth is and what my truth is? Isn't it just about kind of what makes, if, if I'm not hurting anybody, it really doesn't matter what I believe. And they failed at equipping the next generation to put Jesus at the center of their life. Number three, they have the repetitive cycle of spiritual wandering. They just wandered. They did it in the wilderness. They wandered for 400 years of slaves under the hand of Pharaoh. And then they get into the book of Judges, into the promised land. And instead of acting out the promises, they wander spiritually. And here's what their wandering looked like. Here was, here was the roadmap of their wandering. They would serve God for a while and then, just like us, they would sin. Here's what sin is. Here's what sin is. Sin is not about what you do, it's whose authority you reject. Let me say it again. Sin is not about what you did, it's whose authority you reject. So the act of sin in the Garden of Eden is not the <laughs> eating of the apple. That's what they did, but it was whose authority they were rejecting when they ate the fruit that created the sin, and sin separates us from God. When we reject his authority, we choose. God, you stay over there, I'll stay over here, and this space between us is my throne I choose to sit on, I choose to rule my kingdom instead of praying to you, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My kingdom, done, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as I see it on earth. And that's why Jesus tells us pray every day because so easily we can get into that position. And we sin. And you know what sin brings? It brings slavery to you. It brings spiritual wandering. It brings oppression. It oppresses you. It holds you back. It keeps you from what God has intended for you. And what we see in the Israelites is they sin. They become enslaved to it. And then they realize, whoa, this doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Have you ever told your kids, are you sorry because you got caught or are you sorry because you, you really are sorry? Anybody ever said that before? No, just me? Okay. Like, what's the purpose? So they would get caught and they would truly change it. Like, we don't want to do this. And so they would repent. And here's what God would do. God would raise up a judge or a savior and the savior would deliver them. They would have deliverance and they would live high they would live good, they would live solid, they would live blessed until they sinned again. And instead of the Savior washing that sin and coming back up, they would go through the process of being enslaved to that sin again. And then there was oppression, and you can see how it just goes off the page, and this is the ups and downs of a life that doesn't center themselves in Jesus, that just centers yourself around a process of going through the same all struggles time and time again. And so what is the answer? As we end today, what's the answer? Well, Israel, they had a solution. Israel's solution to the weakness of their culture and the wandering of their tribes 
Here's what, the, here's what they thought was the answer. They said, what we need is we need strength and direction. And we need strength and direction from a visible king. This is where Saul and David are going to come from. Their desire to break the crazy cycles in their life by something they could see, something they could control, something they could have opinion over. Strength and direction from a visible king. And today in America, we are in the political cycle. We wouldn't call him king, but we sure do put a whole lot of stock as though all of the kingdom relies on it. And Israel's solution God will give them what they asked for. And can I tell you this? They were asking for something they wanted, but they didn't need. And what God is going to do is going to give them something they needed, but they didn't want. Because he had already given them the answer. He had already given them the greatest king of kings himself. And the book of Judges ends with this line. The very last line in the book of Judges. What a terrible, oh, what a terrible line for, for Israel but, uh, and for the book of Judges and for your life and for my life. If, if our lives end like this, in those days Israel had no king. So the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And I want to tell you, when Jesus is king of your life, you no longer get to dictate what is right and wrong. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of popular opinion, when Jesus is the center of our life, it is him who decides what sin is, him who decides what life in him looks like, what character and conviction and conduct really should produce in our lives. And, and so God's solution to the weakness and the wandering, God's solution, strength and direction from a personal God, not a God way up here. But a God in here, from the inside out in our lives, Israel, and to Lufkin, and to Nacogdoches, and Duncan, and Dybal, and everybody watching online. And you say, ooh, I need that, but how? How, 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 do, I, how do I get there? How do I get that strength from the personal God? Because I have been, maybe, maybe you've been in a cycle of oppression, and you've been in a cycle of, of wandering. How do you get there? It's not rocket science. In fact... God didn't give us anything new. Here's what he gave us. Here, here, here. Guess what? Guess what the answer is for you? The same answer it was for the Israelites. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Love him. Start there. Stop trying to get everything organized in your life and get this and get that. And finally, when you guys get along, then you'll decide to go to church. Like, love the Lord. Stop trying to fix your husband. Love Jesus. Love Jesus and, and trust Jesus to be the king. Trust in Jesus first. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own authorities. Lean not on your own towers. But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run to it and are safe. Moses said it. God says it to us today in 2020. These commands are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children talk about them. You can't just hope about them. You can't just think about them, everybody. You've got to talk about them. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down. Look at, look, look at the formula here. Look. Sit at home. Walk along the road. Lie down. Get up. Do you see the formula? It's all throughout. It's not just one thing we do on Sunday morning. 
And look, let me help you even further. How do you make this into 2020? When you sit at home, that's mealtime. Timber Creek Church, come on. Let's be the people that redeem mealtime again. Let's be the kind of families that take back mealtime from Netflix, that take back mealtime from the iPhone, that take back mealtime from this person doing that, this person doing this, this person doing their own thing. Come on, let's redeem some mealtime and get back together and say, let's talk, let's talk. And it doesn't have to be, well, what has the Lord been speaking to you? The say of Jesus. Like, no, you don't have to be a goober. You don't have to be weird. Here's what we're going to do. Today, if you haven't liked us on Facebook, like us on Facebook because we're going to post some questions you can ask as a family around mealtime. Just questions you can ask that spark conversation about the things of, of God. You don't have, you, you don't like, man, I got regrets because I didn't do very good or my parents didn't teach me. It, it, we'll help you. We'll help you. It's okay. You got this. Don't, don't lack, don't, don't let your regret keep you from moving forward. Like don't let your imperfection, do you know that your imperfections can be actually a megaphone for what God wants to say through you? I didn't do it perfect. Well, who did? Not a single one of us, everybody, except Jesus. So you can still declare, boy, I, man, I did not do what I should have done. I didn't act this way, but, but this is the way Jesus would want us to act. Mealtime. Walk along the road is, is basically drive time. Or there in Duncan and Dieball when you're walking along the yard, when you're having conversation. There's this time, just, just talk about the things of God. Lie down, that's bedtime. And then of course when you get up, that's morning time. And parents, you gotta take, you gotta take this position a little differently. When you're in drive time, that's kind of that's that, that can be some friend time. When, when you're bedtime, when things are slowing down, that can be kind of counseling time. When, when, you are, when you're getting up, that's kind of coach time. You know, let's go, baby, let's go. When you're at mealtime, that can be kind of teacher time. And we're meant to be teaching our kids and counseling our kids and, and loving our kids and coaching our kids. You say, man, I wish, but I don't have the, it's like I don't have the strength. I don't, it's hard to find the time. It's far, it's why Moses who wrote this also wrote in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom because you're a tel- terrible teacher of time for yourself. Every single one of you, most of, I do it too. Ugh, where'd the time go? Anybody ever said that? Boy, it's going so fast. But every day you have some uptime, some downtime, some meal time and some drive time make the most of the time oh i wish i had i wish i knew what to do in those times look what paul says to us in ephesians your strength must come from the lord's mighty power within you it doesn't have to be you it's him in you and through you so when we pray every day like jesus told us to pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in the original language it actually says it this way your kingdom come your will be done in earth as it is in heaven you and I are dust with the breath of God inside you and I are dirt we're dirt divine dirt you got your dirt suit on today but his kingdom come his will be done in earth 
And if it can start here, and he can be king in here, we can show the world who the king is out here. All locations, would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. If you're here today at one of our locations or online and you've not invited Jesus to be the savior of your life, the king of your life, today is the day. This is the intersection of opportunity for you. Don't miss out. And if that's you and you know there's been something, your heart's been beating a little faster, that's not just your emotions. That's the spirit of God wooing you to him. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He's saying, come on, come on, follow me, follow me, follow me. And if that's you at one of our locations, you need to begin to follow him for the first time or the first time in a while. If that's you, just put a hand right up in the air. I need to follow him today. Yeah, yeah, anybody else? Quickly, quickly. All locations, you can put your hands down. In your own words, you just say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Give me this moment to make things right with you. Thank you. I want to follow after you. Help me with my next steps. I want to start by loving you, loving you, loving you because you first loved me. Thank you, Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes still closed. You're here and maybe this whole mealtime, bedtime, morning time, that's, a, that's been a struggle finding the cadence, fighting the rhythm. Maybe a parent or a grandparent. If that's you and you, you just want Jesus, help me with better rhythm on that. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? Me too, everybody. Me too. I'm a pastor, but we do not lead from perfection in our home. We lead with just as much need for grace and mercy as you. Jesus, I pray for that grace and mercy to be on these families as they lead themselves and as they lead one another and as they lead the next generation and equip them to be world changers for the kingdom of heaven. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody at every location said amen.